Open your Bibles with me today to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews, the 7th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 11. 11, chapter 7, Hebrews. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives. Who lives and lives on in his high priestly role of the order of Melchizedek. Let us do good business with your word today, Lord, both in our understanding and our acceptance of the truths that are presented to us here. Let not us have any stumbling blocks in place against what we hear from your word and what you teach us, but let us have the hearts of learners, of true disciples. And we pray then, Lord, teach us. And like a shepherd, lead us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 7, and now verse 11, continuing to dwell here because we are being taught of our great high priest, a necessary person and a necessary role and ministry in our own lives as New Testament, New Covenant believers, as it was for these Hebrews who are transitioning. <clears throat> and I say they're transitioning, for they're transitioning from a way of life known for hundreds of years, stamped indelibly upon them by the very word of God, was their culture, their life, their calendar, their celebrations, all these things tied up in the law that Moses gave them and the high priestly ministries that would lead them in these endeavors. And now, with Christ having come, with a new church starting out, the learning of what do we do now is taking place, particularly in the hearts of Hebrews, who would struggle most with a transition from the old way that God had indeed given them 
into a new way of thinking, practicing, worshiping, and going that God is now presenting to them. And he presents it to them with a new priest first and then a new law. So today we're going to explore the nature of Christ's high priestly ministry, the nature of Christ's priesthood. And in particular, we are going to look at six reasons, so six reasons why the high priesthood of Jesus Christ has replaced the Levitical priests. Why do we do this? We do this so that we will never again look back. We'll never look back into the old method uh, that the Hebrews followed for centuries, but rather look forward and look along with our present high priestly minister, Jesus Christ of the order of Melchizedek. Are you ready to go with me? Then let us go. So Christ's priesthood replaces the Levitical priesthood. Christ's priesthood replaces the Levitical priesthood. If you want a replacement theology, here it is. But this is biblical unlike the other. This is the replacement of the Mosaic system of worship and priests to a new system of worship with a new great high priest, Jesus Christ. And now the writer of Hebrews is going to make a logical, reasoned argument that is undeniable. That by the end of the time in which he leads us to the conclusion that the great high priest Jesus has replaced all the priests who've come before, you will have no other conclusion that you can make but to let that go and to go on with the high priest Jesus. And he does this so conclusively and so profoundly that we're going to take a number of days, no surprise there, to do this. Christ's priesthood replaces the Levitical priesthood. Reason number one. Letter A in your notes. Christ's priesthood replaces the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priests were imperfect. Levitical priests from Aaron and all of his sons on down through their genealogy were each and every one of them imperfect men. They were not perfect, they were imperfect. Notice verse 11 of chapter 7 again. Therefore, after what we've already learned and what we've already studied, what he's already presented before, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need, he asked this reasonable question, was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. And this gets us back to this, this tracing of this rhetorical device that the writer of Hebrews has been using from the very beginning of our study, and he's carrying it through, and he will continue to carry this through all the way to chapter 12, and we need to remember that that's what he's doing. One of the 
shortfalls, if you will, of expository preaching, where we do verse by verse and sometimes center in with a great microscopic clarity on certain smaller details and bring them to greater focus, is that sometimes we need to back out and look at the big picture once again, uh, like looking at the entirety of the universe in the skies at night. It's wonderful to take your telescope out and to center in on a single planet in the heavens and study it. Or uh, some of us like uh, to get out there when we know there's going to be a meteor shower or something like that and watch those things. And you can zero in on just that. But sometimes on the summer night, especially I like August. I don't know why August. Probably because my mother used to take us out and we'd lie on the lawn and we'd look up at the heavens and she'd say, shh, be quiet. Now look, and we look at the heavens in all of their glory and be amazed. And then she'd say, like, can you hear the corn growing? And we'd listen real careful. And I know, I'm pretty sure, well, I think so anyway, I could hear it growing. But we got to see the amazing panorama of the entirety of the heavens. And when you're working through such a masterfully designed, if I will, an argument that he is placing here, we sometimes need to go back and remember where we've been. So the question of perfection. And one of the things that is happening to us here is the difficulties that go between English and Greek. And some of you who have uh, had your first language be another language than English know this. And others of you who have studied languages other than English and have learned them know this as well, that there are some things that just don't translate completely well. For instance, this often, often happens with humor, because humor is based on really knowing the language and the culture and the use of language even for different reasons, sometimes in jest, sometimes being facetious, uh, and, and sometimes uh, making a large point with the same word used in different ways. But you really have to know that word to get the joke or it's lost. I remember my father, whose first language was German, and I'm not talking West German, I'm not talking Southern German, I'm talking High German. There seemed to be a difference in his mind. And I'm sure there was. And he would say something in German and we said, well, what does that mean, Daddy? And he'd say, and he'd start trying to translate into English. And then sometimes he just said, doesn't translate. Can't do it. it. It doesn't translate. So we say it again in German, to which we were in the same position as we started again, and we're completely unedified. We may not do that with Greek. It's in the Bible. But I point that out to point out that so crafted is this book of Hebrews that we need to see how he's laying this out before us to get the flavor of it. For the nuances of the root teleon, teleos, teleao, 
is being presented to us. And in, in a number of different ways, the English has used different words or even in some cases, a different phrase to attempt to translate that through to us. But in the doing of that, we lose the thread of that word that he's carrying through the book. And when you do that, you lose something. And I don't want to lose anything because it's so exciting when you think about what's going on. Remember, we've been talking through this book about maturity, right? Maturity. Growing up. Growing into, and it's sometimes growing out of. Oh, this word, this word that we have translated in our verse 11, perfection, we have looked at a few other times, and we've seen also the English word translating teleon, teleao, teleas, as perfection. Let me read this again. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, he is making a case. He's saying, if the Levitical priesthood were perfect, if it were teleao, if it were complete in every way, if it was fully grown up at all points, there would not be a need for another high priest of the order of Melchizedek. But the Levitical high priests were imperfect. And when you study even the very beginning of the family tree of Aaron, you find out that his two oldest sons who were to take over the ministry for, from Aaron, when they were given the task, they took it so lightly that they did not follow the law of God in bringing in the proper incense into the temple of God to worship him, and God did what? He, he smoked them, someone says in the audience. And that is, <laughs> I wish I had thought of that, thank you. Now it's been illustrated from the pews. God smoked them. God killed them. So if it were perfect, there wouldn't be a need. Since it is not perfect, other examples, Eli. Other examples, Eli's sons. They were not perfect. They were not complete. They were not mature, if you will, in the fullest understanding of this word. Teleos, teleosis, can mean completion in English. It can mean mature in English. It can mean to establish something in a higher form or a perfection, if you will. And in this case, and what we're starting to, to trend for is the establishment of a perfect fellowship. Listen, a perfect, complete fellowship between man and God. Man is imperfect, incomplete, and needs to be led to God by a priest who stands in the middle for them, who represents them to God. 
So there's also this idea of a fulfillment, of a coming together of all the things that goes into completing what was God's plan and purpose that is happening right here. And it's been declared that if there were a total perfection, if there were a completeness, if there was a way of establishing a perfect fellowship between God and man that the Levitical priests could accomplish, then there wouldn't have been the need for Jesus. There wouldn't have been the need for a Melchizedekian high priest. And so this is approaching us. Remember again the basics of what priests do. Priests represent men to God, right? God is over here in the temple, the Mosaic system. His presence is there behind the veil. The Ark of the Covenant is there in the mercy seat with the golden cherubim with their wings reaching across and God's very glory appears there. Yet there's a giant curtain separating man from God because of the holiness of God and the purity of God and the enormity of our separation from him brought about by sin. Man cannot enter in easily. He must have a representative. And so once a year the high priest would go behind the veil, but not without blood, not without offering not without a particular set of clothes that he would only wear there, only wear once, and when he's done, take them off. All of those symbols remind us of the imperfection of the man bringing other men to God. That he lacks something. That it's incomplete in all of its form, yet it is showing us, it is giving them a training, if you will, for the future. So they're bringing men to God and representing men before God. And they provide a means for men to approach God. They are the means by which men can approach God through the representative ministry of a high priest. The means for men to approach God. Sacrifices were needed as well to reconcile men to God to give them, if you will, and if you will understand the way I'm trying to use this, to give them a perfect standing before God, to give them an acceptable standing before God because they're sinners. Christ's priesthood replaces the Levitical priesthood because the priest's of the Levitical priesthood were imperfect. They were men, fallen men, incomplete men. The human priesthood of that Aaronic line that we read about in the Old Testament is rife with the problem of their incapacity. They were destined to be an incomplete representative before God. They would be an unsatisfactory priest. They would be, if you read your Bibles, and I know you do, they would be disappointing. 
very disappointing representatives of man to God. Even at their very best, they lacked. The Bible also teaches us that because they were imperfect, that at their worst, they were corrupt. The Levitical priests, at times and in certain characters, characteristics, were contradictory to the very law that they were to serve and bring men to. And all too often they were hypocritical in their living, for in their impurity they were imperfect. So what he is doing here is reminding us that there is something going on in his reasoning that we need to track that's now coming together in greater clarity in Jesus Christ, the great high priest of Melchizedek. I want to remind you. Chapter 7, verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? They're not coming from Aaron because it was incomplete. They were imperfect. Now skip to verse 19. Chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. That's our same Greek root, teleos. The law made nothing perfect, nothing complete, nothing of full maturity. It did not bring man completely to God and reconcile men perfectly in their standing with God. The law made nothing perfect. These are the tracings of this word. And look again in this chapter, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Verse 28 now. For the law appoints, listen, as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law, the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Perfected forever. We stumble on that about Jesus because we know he's God who came in human form and lived a perfect life. Different word. It's perfect life's a different Greek word. In this life that is being Explain to us in Hebrews, Jesus came as a man and in his humanity progressed. Remember that? Oh, you don't. Oh, good. I can take you back. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 10. These are the places we saw this Greek root, teleos, teleon, teleao. It's just... Noun and verb forms. Verse 10, For it was fitting for him who Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, 
Now right there, if anybody's saying that what he's teaching denies the deity of Christ, that's off the table because that's a deity proclamation. Jesus, the him for whom all things, whom are all things and by whom are all things, he who created them all, and he who holds them all together, in bringing many sons to glory, follow me now, to make the author of their salvation teleos, through sufferings. If I take perfect out of there, it helps, doesn't it? To make him the author of their salvation. Who's the author of our salvation? Jesus Christ. The author and finisher of our faith. He is progressing in his humanity in Hebrews. To make the author of their salvation perfect, complete, mature, ready, the culmination, the fulfillment through suffering. To be a high priest and represent men to God, Jesus had to live a human life just like yours. I don't mean just like yours, full of sin. I mean just like yours, full of suffering, full of trials, full of temptations. Wasn't it Jesus who was tempted, yet without sin? Well, how can you be tempted without sin? And as I've proclaimed to you before, it's harder to be tempted without sin because when you sin in and under temptation, the weight of temptation comes off, <laughs> doesn't it? You're now in sin. Temptation has no hold over you because you've fallen. If you never fall to temptation, temptation never goes away. He fought it his whole life, yet without sin. He learned and progressed. And not only that, in chapter 5 as well, we learn this about Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 9. Speaking of Jesus again, I'll start in verse 8 just to help you be sure this is who it is. Though he was a son, though he was a son, listen, yet he learned obedience by the things which he what? Suffered. There you have it again. Verse 9 is our teleos word that we're looking for again. And having been perfected, verse 9, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Notice, he obeyed God. And he learned to obey God through the things which he suffered not making him perfect in his being, never sinned. That's not the nuance of this word. Is making him completely ready, completely matured, completely brought to the point in his humanity such that he could represent us as man, as a true representative of man, to God, the Holy One, that no man may approach and not die. 
there's a progression. And verse 9 says of chapter 5, called by God as high priest according to the order of, here's that big name, Melchizedek. By the end of this, you're going to be able to say Melchizedek, 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 as many times in a row as you need to. You've got it, baby. And don't shorten it to Mel. That doesn't work. Melchizedek. Note as well that following on the heels of verse 10 is verse 11. Speaking of Jesus and his learning and his obedience and his being brought to that perfect point of being a representative, we then turn here to verse 11 of chapter 5, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing, dullards, incomplete, little children throwing temper dandrums. I don't want any of this hard teaching. La, 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 I can't hear you. That's really the picture that is being presented. For though by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles and the oracles of God, you've come to need milk and not solid food. Remember I told you when we started Hebrews, this is not Theology 101. This is an advanced course on theology. You're in grad school now, baby. Hang on. I need some thesis papers on my desk by Friday at 5 p.m. or you're getting docked. 2,000 words on the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus Christ and why that matters to you as a Christian. Go. Oh, you can have communion, then go. Nobody's leaving. I guess you'll stay for lecture. Lectures are important. Remember... Verse 14, chapter 4, in the middle of these two things. Priests represent man to God, and they reconcile men to God, giving them a perfect standing. Therefore, they must be men. The humanity of Jesus is essential for you to have a priest to represent you who understands you. Chapter 4, verse 14, seeing then that we have, present tense, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We hold fast that we confess Jesus Christ, not just as Savior. That is a baby first step of Christianity. Who is Jesus? Jesus my Savior. Good. Now let's go on to Melchizedek. You need to know that Jesus is also your great high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What weaknesses? The weaknesses of humanity, of the flesh. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry, hence the devil saying, if you're hungry after these 40 days of fasting, here's a rock, here's a stone. If you, if you are who you say you are, ha, speak to the rock, turn it into some bread, solve your problem. What did Jesus say? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, I think he's a little more deeply spiritual than all of us. 
in the temptation of the flesh desiring food after 40 days without, which I have no idea how that feels, and I have no plan on trying to achieve that goal just to see if I can make it. I have a high priest who did. Sympathizes with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace for help in time of need. This high priest, only this one, this one doesn't die. This one lives forever. This is the one we count on to constantly be the man who is not incomplete, is not imperfect, is not fallible, is not corrupt, but is in all points right in his standing to bring us to God so we can stand with him. Chapter 10. Oh, let's do nine as well. No sense cutting them out. They're good ones. Chapter 9, 9 and 10. Speaking of old covenant sacrifice, we read, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. There's that word again. In regard to conscience, these things that were going on in the temple sacrifices under the Mosaic system for hundreds of years cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Meaning your conscience can't be cleared. It's incomplete. As soon as the sacrifice has been made, you do a sin and you're uncovered again and you got to wait till next year. You got to wait till the next time. You got to bring another offering. Constantly in the temple, the killing of animals, the bleeding of blood, the presenting of sacrifices, sin, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Because it was fleshly, listen, verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of, keyword, reformation. A planned time of God doing away with the one to bring in the better, the higher, the more complete, the perfect. How do we know this? Well, Paul wrote a book. Let's go there. The book is called Galatians. The chapter we're looking at is three. This question of perfection leads us to the reality that the Levitical priests were imperfect and needed to be replaced by the new great high priest Jesus who was complete in every way because the system even that the Levites were offering, uh, operating under was a temporary system known as the law of Moses. Paul makes this very clear. You want to really realize how Paul feels about New Testament, New Covenant Christians trying to adopt the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law in their li daily living as a practice, you will find yourself, if that's your bent, being called by Paul foolish. 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started with Christ and now you go back? It is in this setting that even in chapter 3, he says it again, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. When the better comes, what are you doing? Back with the old stuff that only pointed to the better, the greater, the complete, the perfect, the fulfillment of the entire plan. See, the problem with men is we like things to stay the same. May I have an amen? Not all of you said it yet. May I have an amen? amen. That's a little more true. We want things to stay the same. Now, some of you who are over the age of, say, uh, 50, tell me, are things going to change? Amen. The one thing I've learned about life is nothing stays the same. I don't stay the same and shouldn't. You shouldn't stay the same either. You know, you run into people that you graduated high school with. I went to my 40-year reunion, and I found some people wearing the same hairstyles we did back in the 70s slash 80s. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, where'd you get all that hair, somebody said. Yeah, and there was one guy that died. Man, I guess if I had hair like that, I'd probably still wear it long. No, I wouldn't. Doesn't even nature tell you? Long hair is not suitable for a man. That's another sermon, and it ain't going to be now. But a woman's hair is her glory. Oh, worms are spilling out of the can. But we're going here to chapter 3 of these foolish Galatians who are planning to re-adopt and re-follow a system of belief, a, a way of approach unto God that was incomplete and passing away. And they needed to learn what it's all about. Verse 19, chapter 3. What purpose, Paul asked, does the law serve? Listen, it was added because of transgressions. What? So if the law is so great, why is it so great? It was added because of transgressions? It's added because of sin? It's added because men break God's law? Mm-hmm. And why was it added? Because it points out sin. The law shows you that you're dead in trespasses and righteousness and unrighteousness. But you sin against God and you deserve his punishment. Why? Because he made a whole list in the law and you can't keep them. What did Israel learn over a hundred years? They learned we can't keep the law, neither can our priests, and our sacrifices don't cover all our sin, and we've gotten worse rather than better. Is that not true? Verse 19, so what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, listen, till the seed should come to whom, to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So who needs to have a mediator between them and God? 
Everybody. Man. God holy. Men sinful. Sin can't come to God. How do we get there? Mediator. Pictured by priests. Namely, high priests. Come with your sacrifice. We can come to God. Here you go. No, no, you stop. You stop there. I'm going in. I'll tell you how it goes. Offer to God. Come back out. A mediator. But it was picturing only the one that would come. So verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there, listen, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, we're talking about Jesus, alive, life, never died. Every, every high priest did what? Died. Here we go. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. What does that tell you? You could keep the law. You could try and keep the law. But righteousness will not come unto you through that law system. But Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who... Believe. So it's not by works. It's by faith. Now listen. Here's where I'm going to get in here. It could become the weeds for you. But I'm going to be the big mower that goes before us. And we're going to plow right through these weeds. 23. But before faith came, there was. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Okay? Under guard by the law. My sister used to be that in our house when we were kids. Our parents would go shopping. I think it was like one of those moments where they just had to get away from it all. And they'd say they were going shopping. I'm sure that was probably one of the things they did. And we were left home under the charge of my oldest sisters, four years older than me. Then there was another older sister, two years older than me. So I needed mercy from God. I had two older sisters. And the oldest sister was put in charge of all of us to get the list of chores done that mom and dad left for us. Now, that just proves the rule of law. Mom and dad left the law and left our sister Linda as guardians over us. And what happened as soon as that door clicked in the station wagon, and yes, we had station wagons. You want to think your minivan's bad? I'm telling you what, you're not even in it. The humility of a station wagon. That would pull out of the driveway. You know what happened in that house? All hell would break loose. That's what happened. And our poor oldest sister, the guardian's mom and dad said, you're supposed to do that. My oldest sister could not run that fast. I could run fast. And man, it was a good time. And in our sin, we ran rampant until that one thing happened, which usually does when it really happens. Something breaks. I remember one time we ran into the closet door and knocked it off its runners. Kaboom! All fighting ceased. And we went back to the law. 
for salvation. Suddenly where there was disharmony, disunity, disrespect, there became a holiness brought about by the law a fear of God, a fear of mom and dad. Mom was bad, but dad had a bill. And now we have to join together in our harmony and get this thing fixed. And then from that point, let's get on those jobs we're supposed to do and get it done. And I'm sure, and I don't know, I think parents catch on to this. When they come home and all the kids are in unity and harmony and all the jobs are done and they're all standing there going, Hi, Mom and Dad, can we help you haul the groceries back in the house? Then something happened that was against the law. And that the sinners were running wild and the law could not keep them. But the law stirred it up. And mom and dad would go, we're going just do whatever you want to do. Linda's not in charge. No, he's in charge. You reach a law to yourself. Do what's right in your own eyes. It would have been like, woohoo! No problems. Why fight with older sisters? There's no law. But where there's a law, there's a fight. That's what he's trying to teach us. Before the law, we were kept under guard by my sister Linda. I mean, by the law. Listen, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our, listen, what? Tutor. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher, our resident professor to teach us about what's coming in its complete form. Was our tutor, listen, to bring us to whom? Christ. Ha. Or as the French would say, la. The law was a temporary position. You don't have tutors your whole life. Unless, of course, you're like the Hebrews we're reading about, who by now should be teachers. And you need someone to teach you again the elementary principles. And one of the things that they had to remember is repentance from dead works. We put the closet back on the rails. I went in and made an attempt at cleaning my room. Kept the law. Was it in belief? No, it was in fear. I had no belief about it. The only belief I had is if I didn't and got caught, the spanking's coming. There was no faith. I'm kept under guard by Linda. That can't be permanent. She's a little too far away now. Hey, sis, what's up? Help me. At some point, you got to grow out of big sister Linda bossing you around. And if you go back to big sister Linda, doesn't it sound stupid then? That's like going back to the Mosaic Law and trying to live it like you did as kids. You're under a guardian. You're under a tutor, the law, to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by what? Faith. Faith, and after faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a what? A tutor, for you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That has brought us all together, the harmony, the unity that comes from belief in Jesus Christ, the changed hearts is part of the new law that comes.
And by the way, I'm not going to transfer very far beyond point one. I'm having too much fun. And I really mean this fun. I'm enjoying this book. This tracing of this thing and seeing the culmination from infantile nature of, of the Hebrews being brought up through hundreds of years. Why did it take hundreds of years? I don't know. But I know enough about me to, take, to tell you this, that I never learn anything that's really important easily. And what I mean by important, anything that's really spiritual or holy, I got to have it a gob of times. Because I'm a man. And I'm imperfect. But I have a high priest. So, I want you now to go back to Hebrews. Chapter 5. Remember how he was really getting on these guys for not being old for being in need of a teacher, needing to be taught the first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food, verse 12. Well, look at verse 13 and 14. Chapter 5, Hebrews 13, 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, I want you to watch this. This is so cool. But solid food belongs to those who are of teliao. What did the English say? Full age. Mature. Grown up. No longer needing big sister Linda to tell me to clean my room. I clean my room by faith. Do you know that? You can clean your room by faith. Not out of obligation to the law and fear, because you know that he who commanded you to take care of those things that are yours and to do unto others as you have them do unto you, and that he is your Savior, and that he's your high priest, that you can clean your room voluntarily from a heart that has already been rewarded by God because you're grown up. Lack of faith tries to work again their way to heaven through the law. Full growth and maturity is resting on the faith of Jesus Christ. I have Jesus Christ, a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, who has gone behind the veil, who goes there for me, whoever lives to make intercession for me, who is always dependable, for he always lives. He is always there, for he is complete. There is, number two in your notes, the need for a new order, Melchizedek. All that came before was incomplete. Therefore, verse 11, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, which it wasn't, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. There is a necessity. There is a need because of the incomplete nature of every other man who tried to be a priest. And everybody, anybody who walks up to you and tells you they're a priest of God today, I just have one thing you can tell them with great confidence and further with great faith. You can say this, liar, liar, pants on fire. Jesus is the only high priest I need. For he ever lives. 
And he is complete. He has been perfected. And I trust his perfection, his maturity, in my maturity. We don't want to go back to the old way that was a temporary teacher to bring us to maturity. We got to get out of grade school. We got to get out of high school and that hairstyle has just got to go. And you got to start walking in big boy pants. I almost said something for the gals and realized that would be stupid. In grown-up ways. There was a necessity for another priest because the old priests were incomplete, as was the law, and I'm going to hammer that next week. Good Lord willing, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Oh Lord, mature us. So faithful were you in the humanity of your son that you matured him, you grew him in knowledge and in wisdom and through obedience and suffering. Grow us, Lord, through these same means, wisdom and knowledge and through obedience and suffering so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that we would be mature, solid, steadfast in our faith, unmovable in our confession of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, in whose name we pray, and everybody say it, Amen.